What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Contractor Secrets Podcast. I got him back, Nick Slavic, the painting goat, the painting business guru. Uh, he's here to share his secrets. So we did this live episode in uh, our painting contractors group and so insightful. Literally every time I talk to this guy, I get held to a higher standard. That's why I love bringing him on. Um, and I know through whatever you're using to listen to this podcast, it will raise your standard. So be ready uh, as you hear how Nick operates and runs his painting business. Take notes um, and don't listen with judgment on yourself about how you're doing business. I think when we hear that somebody's operating at such a high level, operating with such high standards, it makes us feel inferior. So don't listen with that approach. Just listen with acceptance that you will be able to take baby steps to get to that point. Implement some of the things you hear. Don't think you have to go from zero to 100. Just implement some of the things that you hear. If they're good ideas, add them to uh, you know whatever you thought uh, was a good idea. Make your idea even better. So uh, no judgment here. Just kind of listen, absorb, and uh, learn from one of the best in the painting industry, uh, Nick Slavic. The big question you need to ask yourself every day is, do I own a job or do I own a business? And unfortunately, the majority of contractors out there own a job. That's right, they're a slave to their own business. But the other side of the fence is so much greener, it's so much better, and that's when you're finally fully in control of your destiny, your freedom, your time, and that's what Contractor Secrets is about. It's about taking back our time, building a business with systems, standards, values, procedures, putting yourself in the driver's seat, and that's what it's about. So I'm excited. I'm happy to have you here. Let's dive into the Contractor Secrets Podcast. All right, well, what's up, everyone? I got him back. I rallied him back. I know he's got a big schedule. He's been all across the, the world visiting different countries and performing all sorts of uh, amazing feats for the painting contractor world. I have him here, Nick Slavic, man. Thanks so much for joining me back on the Contractor Seekers Podcast. Always a pleasure. How are you doing today? Good, man. Thanks for the opportunity. And any chance I get to talk to you, Tanner, you know I'm going to take it. So I thank you so much, man. It's always it's always a it's always a pleasure. So let's dive in, man. I think the real question is, how do you nail the intro to ask a painter live? every single time it's like perfect i mean are you rehearsing this thing in the mirror in the morning yeah so uh there's some things in life tanner that are fair and then there's some things that are not fair uh, i'm really good off the cuff and um this is a combination where not only am i good off the cuff i'm horrible at almost everything else uh i've said it hundreds of times hundreds over of and time. over repetition over it's been, it's been a weekly <laughs> recitation for over five years. Man, so it's perfect. It's flawless every time. I love it. I mean, it's great. Dude, listen, man, Tanner, <laughs> you could wake me up out of my sleep in the middle of the night and say, Nick, you're live. And I'd say, Hey everybody, happy Friday. It's Nick Slavic. You know, I would yeah, jump yeah, right yeah. into it. I love it. I love the part, the proprietor of, so no, it's yeah. awesome, man. You bring, you bring energy to the trades and I always love seeing the engagement on the post. You know, you're answering questions, you're doing it and somehow maintaining focus on whatever you're working on. I mean, it's, I mean, that is a job in itself being somebody who tries to create content offline, doing it live, you know, okay. So we, we know that's difficult. So, uh, well, let's get into it, man. You know, I was kind of following along with you. You went, uh, you went to Brazil. I know you have quite a bit of a following there. You know, what's a takeaway, man. I, I wanted to ask you that when, uh, when I saw you there, I mean, you, you seem to be so submersed in the culture and the trade, um, seeing 
obviously don't have the exposure that we do to some of the resources that we have, but it's really cool to see it. So out of everything that you experienced there, man, what was that one thing that you came away with, whether it's something you're grateful for or something you learned and what was that takeaway, man? Yeah. So I, I, I was really of two minds and it took a, a very long plane ride to decompress because uh, last time I went, you know, I, I, I've done two tours in Brazil now. And the first one was just what is going on here? I didn't even know the language or anything. The second <laughs> one was, okay, I have some data. Now I want to dig in. So I, they arranged a special night for me where I had about 20 of the largest painting contractors in Sao Paulo. And Sao Paulo is about the fifth Maybe. largest city in the world, 20 million people. So wow. these are guys who had been, um, Arturo was one of the main uh, guys there, you know, 150 painters. He's been in business for 30, 40 years. Mm. And the interesting takeaway was every single thing that you hear painters in the United States complain about the, the <laughs> price of a gallon of a paint and not enough good people. That's exactly what they said down there. Wow. Um, the interesting data point was they pay sometimes a quarter of what our labor is. So where we would start a painter at 18 or 20 bucks, they're paying people four to $8 an hour because that's the economy down there and then the, the dollar exchange rate. And they have access to 20 million people and they still wow. complain about the same thing, Tanner. So yeah. at, at initially when I was at that meeting, I was like, you guys don't have any magic solutions <laughs> for finding all the greatest people who right, work right. for almost no money and don't bug you. Unbelievable. But I like on the on the plane ride home, I, I kind of like, made peace with it. And it's like, oh, wait a second. This is a human business. Because we deal with humans, it doesn't matter what the economy is, what language we speak, what country we're in. We're all going to have the same problems. And this is not a weird thing in our economy right now. People think there's not enough painters, not enough good business right. owners. There never has been. Right. I can, I can almost guarantee you there never has been. Right. This is a constant effort and we can never stop. There's never going to be an easy solution to this. And that's my biggest takeaway, which is I am never going to hold out for a second to think that there's a magic solution to people out there. Wow. So, so I get this question or I get this statement and I know you hear it all the time. Your big focus going into the expo is going to be knocking down limiting beliefs. You hear this. I see it all over. I can't find quality help. I mean, in our group, you, you could probably search it and just scroll because of how many times it's been, it's been written. It's hard to find help. Someone comes to you with that. What's a statement that you would say to them to shut that down, to, to get rid of that limiting belief? What's something that you would just, you, there's, there's no argument to it. What's a question or a statement or an action step that they failed to take to even validate that? Yeah. I hired 14 people in December, <laughs> Tanner Mullen. Wow. I hired 14, 14 people, people in yeah, December. And, and they are... Um, Honestly, my team is looking around and, and they're saying like, Nick, you, you don't always hit it out of the park, but this is the finest group of people you've ever, wow. ever gathered. And today, Tanner, as soon as I'm done with this podcast, I'm going to my shop and it is the end of their two week apprenticeship program. It's you know, the end of the two weeks here. And I'm doing, you onboarded 14 people in one shot. Yeah. So we, well, we actually onboarded 10 and then another four are going to start at the end of wow. the month, uh, just because they couldn't make, um, sure. you know, they wanted to give notice with their employers, but yeah, we, we trained for the last two weeks. We've been training 10 people in our training facility. So amazing. Amazing. I mean, listen, you can, you can say there's no people out here, but here's, here's the truth, you know? And then the next question Tanner is going to be, well, what's the magic website? It's like, guess what? I'm in all the same places you guys are. I, and, and probably less than you are. Sure. The thing is I put forth a whole bunch of intentional effort and I actually have a value proposition for these people. So, um, you know, I, in, 
with 50 to 80 hours of my own time, I can turn out anywhere from, I used to say two to four candidates. And this last time I turned out 14. That's, that's an aberration. I normally only go for about two to four candidates a time. But the biggest question is, show me on your calendar where you've put forth 50 to 80 hours of your time to recruit wow. decent human beings. Wow. Would you put recruiting decent human beings in the same category or with the same skill set required as sales? Okay. Because in the same way that you're advocating for customers to hire your business, I think that we need to transition our mindsets of these people need us as opposed to we need them. And when you come from that perspective, you're really trying to sell yourself as a business that is really fighting to attract the best people, the best talent. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I, I So you know that I love the data. Uh, my last year that I did all the estimates for my company, I did 800 estimates. That's a, that's a time of somewhere between an hour wow. and a half and two hours per estimate. So I put in 1600 hours in one year to estimate wow. all the work for my company. And my SR is less than 50%. So really I, I've, I spent probably about 800 hours, not wasting. successfully. Yeah. <laughs> you can say wasting, but then you, you look around and you say, well, listen, you're selling, you're selling a product to them. When you recruit, just like you said, you're selling your company. Show me how you used 1600 hours last year. To do, yeah. People are willing to go out and sell like crazy all the time, yeah. but they won't put forth one yeah. ounce of effort to finding yeah. humans to join them. If I if, let take me through this, I'm looking for a job. I go and I see your ad. I somehow make it through whatever it requires to sit in front of you. What does that conversation look like? Yeah, so I hate interviews. Uh, people don't tell you hardly anything. Um, number one, small hurdles. And I want people to self-select. So you have to respond to the ad, which is a weird ad. So already mm -hmm. it's self-selected phone interview. And if you don't throw up on your shoes, you get an in-person interview, in-person interview. All I want to do is just hear you talk. And there's a couple of questions I always ask. Normally it's like, Hey, what'd you do after high school? And then I just shut up and, and let them talk. And people will tell you all sorts of wild stuff. <laughs> <laughs> about what they do. If if so, the hardest thing for me is to dwell in awkward silence because mm. we're Minnesotans and we're passive aggressive. So we have to fill the silence with talk. But if I can stop mm. myself, they will talk. And uh, yeah, a lot of the time I just talk about if you you know a couple of the triggering things. I'm just trying to get them to talk. I don't actually think they answer the questions well. But like if you could change one thing about your past job you know, what would you do to make you happier, more satisfied? And usually they don't answer the question directly, but they'll tell you something interesting. So it's basically just, we're trying to find core value matches and we're trying to suss out decent human beings. We can't look for any qualifications because really we're not even looking for painting experience. So right. it really, I hate to say this, but we have the five core values in my company and we basically, I'm just trying to check those off in my list. Like, would I have sure. a barbecue with this person on the weekend? You know, that is a real, you know, I would say, would you allow this person to spend the night at your house? <laughs> a well, bit deeper. That's, a whole, that's you know, another level, Tanner. <laughs> that's another level. But at the end of the day, if they needed a place to stay, would you feel uncomfortable? Or would you feel as though, Hey, you know, I can let that person crash for a night. And if the answer to that question is I feel uncomfortable, then why would you send them to your customer's house? Listen, you know, man, that's a great litmus test. I like that a lot. That's how I see it. So for me, um, and I had to learn that though, you know, I had to learn that this process actually works. It's kind of like, no, I didn't learn it the hard way, but I had to learn that this process of actually being diligent enough to have a system to hire is actually worth it. You, yeah. you look at it like a funnel. Like you said, they have to reply to the ad. There's probably an instruction there that you have that you're looking to see if they follow. Is that, is that an assumption to be correct? That's it. Yep. And, and I, I try to, you know, I would say 
three fourths of my entire process is they, they just self-select out somewhere sure. in the process. And it's, yeah. I love a, a self-selecting process. Me like too. That. <laughs> Me too. I, I put out an indeed ad. I had over 80 applicants, you know, Nick, I'm busy. I don't have time to go through 80 applications and I know you don't either. So what I have is a custom question at the top of the indeed ad. And all it says is, why are you interested in this job? That self selects 70% of them because yeah. What I've noticed is maybe about 25% of that 70% don't even answer that. So I guess they just kind of just hit apply, 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 apply down the line. Cool. Then you have some individuals that say looking for more money. Get those out of there, right? Then you have some individuals that come with a little bit of heart and passion and those values that you emphasize of. You know, the painting trade has always been exciting to me. I've been in lawn care. And I always wanted to learn a new trade. Okay. I can work with that. That's a good start. Let me now look into their application, right? Yeah. You know, let me now look into the application. So you don't just start looking for help when you need the help. Do you? No. So last year was the last year that we ever hired to fill spots. Uh, I promised my team, uh, part of my job description, I actually had to write my own job description last year to okay. make sure I had KPIs to be held accountable to. And one of them is recruiting. And I'm solely in charge of recruiting. And I told my team, you know what, I'm actually uh, about two quarters ahead of my quota for recruiting this year. And I'm not going to stop either because we got to keep that pipeline full of people, just like jobs. You don't look for work, Tanner, you know, better than anybody yeah. when you're out of work. <laughs> no, worst time to look for work is when you need it. <laughs> yes, right. And it's the same. It's the same with hiring. The worst time you look for an employee is when you need it, because then that turns into desperation. Now you're in the mud and then it's really hard to get rid of a job that you're already working on before you take the job in the same way. It's very hard to get rid of a employee or person that you, you agreed to keep busy at the time when they're already working for you. So avoiding these mistakes early on. So kind of wanted to squeeze that out of you because I really wanted to emphasize this to my listeners and those in the group that everything in business, if you want a calculated result, has to have some sort of process attached to it. And that gets me into my next phase of something I learned from your good friend, JP, Jason Paris, is taking intuition and turning it into a process. And I had to actually re-listen to the podcast I did with him to catch that because <laughs> it went right over my head. I asked him about it, but I was so engaged in the conversation. It kind of flew. And then I had to listen to it again to catch that. So I'm going to say it again because it probably went over someone's head listening. Intuition, turn it into a process. Can you give me some examples of some things that were once intuition in your business that are now processes? Yeah. So Jason says that statement and you know, he backs it up with two more than after that, which, which, you know, as well. And he says that as many times as I do the intro to ask a painter. So that comes right off the top of his head and you have to be like, Oh, pump the brakes, Paris. That was important. Say yeah, that again. That's what so, I did. I said, wait, yeah. wait, wait. <laughs> Honestly, Tanner, everything. There's, there's yeah. not one thing that we don't uh, try to have into a process because again, it's like, we don't want to have these things handed down like ethnic traditions verbally, you know, songs and dances and hymns and things like that. That's, it has to be written down and it has to be referenceable. And, and then you attach it to somebody's job description, incentivize them by doing good results with that. And then you have a, a self, a, a self propagating system where it'll happen because people are incentivized, but no, really there is, um, there are different levels of that. So 
this last two weeks, we've been training 10 apprentices in our facility and our bedroom SOP is one that we go hard on. I mean, the 23 steps to paint a bedroom, there is no wiggle room. We're in there on every step trying to memorize. There's also the estimating SOP, which myself and estimator Andy uses that we don't necessarily do that because we pretty much have it down, but it's more of just like, we don't want to leave this for chance. So we write it down. So there's things that, you know, it's some things are a little more esoteric and some things are a little more like, oh no, this is a operating system. We will do everything, but they're all written down so we can reference. So if Andy and I disappeared, there would be an estimating SOP that somebody could pick up. When you say SOP, standard operating procedure, you know, we know, and I think this is another stat Jason threw at me, 99% of painting contractors do under a million dollars per year. Throw a number at me. What percentage of that group of, I would say, let's say business, you know, owners, not just the people that go out and paint. What would you say percentage wise actually have an SOP in their business of some sort written down, stamped of approval? This is how we do it. What percentage would you say? Yeah. Uh, 1%. 1%. Yeah. That any, anybody can cowboy it to a million but uh, it's very hard to stay there unless you have a professionalized business. And honestly, you can look at almost everybody doing over a million dollars, the 1% of our industry and say, those are the people with employee manuals, standard operating procedures, pay scales, goal setting and review meetings, uh, training, uh, employee handbooks, things like that. And, and it's a very clear drop off for them, the people who don't. Because the goal is to repeat a result, right? So there is yeah. this infatuation stage of business where you get excited about the money you're making. You get excited about, hey, you know, I turned that opportunity that I got from Facebook into a customer. That customer then got turned into future business or whatever it is that got there. You know, the, what we're trying to do in business is repeat the same results so we can grow, you know, and I think we're spinning our tail without those SOPs. You are so kind to share yours all over the group. I see the screenshots. I see this and I see that somebody seeing that who doesn't really know how to get started with an SOP looks at your super level 10 Nick Slavic amazing SOP and says, yeah, I don't think I could number one, create that number two, implement that. How do you get started on the most basic level of SOP? Because yeah. if 99% of people that we agree are not doing it, throwing out some information about, hey, you need to create it, clearly they, they haven't with that information knowing that. So what's an easy way to like get started with that? Like how can we just begin an SOP? Yeah, so uh, like I feel like every answer that I have that goes with those questions like that is super unsatisfying, which is just write it down. Uh, I, I, I talk regularly with people. Actually, I, I, I believe the next Ask a Painter show this weekend, we're going through Mastering the Basics. It's probably going to be on standard operating procedures. Okay. And legitimately, I talk with tons of people who are like, I've been trying for six months. I just haven't got it down. I'm giving up. I was like, you know how to paint a bedroom. Write down the steps right now. It right. takes 30 seconds. Congratulations. Right. That's an SOP. Right. An SOP right. is as simple as prep, top one, top two, deep prep. Congratulations. That's an SOP. Now add yeah. in some other important things in there. Add in, add in the junk. People think that you have to get a professional videographer and right. do this crazy cinematic <laughs> film here. It's like, I honestly, Tanner, if you know how to paint, this shouldn't take you more than an hour to write down every standard operating procedure right. in your business. Right. All you do is make a step list like this. Right. I wrote every SOP in my business in two hours for how do you for coatings. Really? Yeah, just from spinning it off the top, of course. And that's that that goes to show. But then you went back and refined it for the next two years, <laughs> you know. Oh, but yeah. that's that's getting started though. And no, listen, it, it 
honestly, if you are an owner operator and you are out there painting, it's likely you know how to paint. You may not be perfect. You may not be perfect every time, but sweet Jesus, write down the steps you take. You <laughs> know the them. Get it out of your head. Get but it out of your head. How man. do you feel when someone tells you, well, they didn't do this properly, so I fired them? And and I heard that. I hear that often. I hear that, you know, contractors and business owners get frustrated because, you know, someone on their team didn't do something right or do something correct. And I say, you can't hold anyone accountable in your business unless you give them an SOP of exactly what's expected of them and how it's done. Anything outside of that is operating out of really, to me, it's a little unfair, right? I mean, that's not, that's not, well, that's yeah, your job as a business I mean, owner. Tanner, that's a feelings-based argument. I mean, think of the most proverbial sort of um, uh, friction-filled interaction in a business, which is an employee has been here for a year and they'll come to the owner and say, hey, I've been here for a year. I feel like I deserve a dollar. And the, and wow. the owner will say, all I think about is how, how better you could have been. I think you need to improve. I don't think you need a dollar. And sure. then now you're in, locked in a feelings-based discussion because sure. how do you, how, they don't know. I mean, they feel they deserve it. You feel they don't. Now what? And, sure. and that's why that's why good people leave businesses is because of that. There's nothing right. there for them. There's nothing there for them. And I think that we have to understand that you want motivated people that are always looking for the next step, just like we are. I think in business, we attract people who are similar to us or else they probably won't last around us very long. So yeah. you have to respect yourself enough to say, well, I'm motivated. I'm a business owner. I look at my sales. I look at my numbers. I look at my growth. Why wouldn't my employees care about that on their level. And, uh, and, you and know, I'll, I'll, I'll make a fairly bold statement, which is, again, this is, this is me being slightly hypocritical, but I've, I've had employees in a very ragtag way longer than I have had employees in a professional way. I will say there's three things you must have before you even should, before you should even hire anybody, which is sure. there's the employment law side. There's the, there's the craft side, the standard operating procedures, and then there's the core value side of your business. And unless you have an employee handbook with employment law, if somebody gets sick, what's your, what's your policy on like health leave wow. and stuff? Uh, the craft, if there's not a standard operating procedure, how can you tell them you did it wrong if there's nothing ever written down? And then there's the core value thing, which is, listen, even if somebody paints, if you can't trust them, and they're not constantly improving and they're not disciplined and they're not producing work at a high enough rate, then there has to be that part too. So honestly, if, if you say, I'm going to fire this person, they're not doing good enough and you don't have any three of those, honestly, I, I could make an argument for that employee saying, you can't hold me accountable for that. You've show me on paper where I owe that to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think we get in this cycle and I think we're one of the only bit, not only, I mean, there's so many, but like, you know, you can start a painting business mostly around the country with a pulse. So essentially you can show up to someone's house and start making some really good money. And we get so caught up in that cycle in that world. When I call it the infatuation stage, we stay there, we live there and then we come up for air and we realize that we didn't really create anything other than a job for ourselves. Yeah. And then burnout occurs. And then, you know, these, these things start to happen. So one thing that I wanted to ask you and I wanted to hit on is, is that I call it the errs of the one man show, right? You have the, the guy who knows everything. He's afraid to let anyone on their job site because he's afraid that the quality will go down. He's never trained anyone. So he lacks in that area of training and letting people make mistakes and, and, and lacks in the area of creating those standards. I mean, how does someone like that come up for air? Because I feel like 
that is the largest majority of this industry are yeah. these individuals that understand how to paint. They survive off a of word of mouth, but they're hitting some sort of roadblock where they're saying, okay, I'm getting older. My body hurts. My customers aren't being taken care of. I don't answer the phone. I don't get back to them when they want an estimate. I don't. And I'm at a point now where I'm starting to get angry. I'm starting to get frustrated. I'm, uh, it's, it's affecting my personal life. And this is a really serious deal for a lot of people. How do you reach in there and get someone out of that? What's the mindset change? What's the strategy? What's that one thing where someone can take that step forward and get out of that cycle? Yeah, that was 100% me, Tanner. I mean, I, I 14 years ago when I started my business, that was exactly me. I burned down versions of my business because people couldn't do work as well as I could. And I bled. I'm a martyr for this craft. I've wow. tried everything and done everything. And that is a horrible leader thing to do. People take some sort of, you know, um, odd, odd pride in that. And I did too. And it's horrible. So honestly, it takes a lot. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I, I went through a professional and personal rehab that was breakneck. And I, I actually had the help of my spouse, which was, I just pulled her aside and said, you know what? Cause I got raised in this trade by my father, who was the typical, um, tradesperson in the generation above us, which is an old grumpy guy who screams at you and you've never done enough <laughs> with nothing written down. And it's sure. just, it's a horrible way to do it. And, uh, yeah. So I, I asked my wife, I was like, listen, just write down what you see in me of my father. And, and, you know, she gave me a great list and I wow. worked on it. I, it's not perfect. I haven't solved it all, but, uh, legitimately it takes a lot of work and it's not an epiphany. It's not a thing that happens overnight. And, uh, the, there's two fronts, that personal front with is you have to understand again, one of the unsatisfying answers, it's all your fault. It's you. I mean, this is, it's a one person company. Any problems you experience are the direct result of your effort. So congratulations. Uh, the good thing is you can solve it all because it's you and you can make quick decisions. But the bad part is it is your fault. It, it, you, this is the product of your creation. So the personal front and then the professional front, which is, this is not a value statement. A lot of times, you know, we talk about um, when I started in the industry, we were talking about 80% of our industry being single person companies or 1.5. The more info that Jason Paris and I get from being involved with the PCA, last year we said 98%. This year, 99%. It's wow. likely 99% are single person companies. This is not a value wow. statement. This is not <laughs> me saying yeah. that that's bad. If you understand the risk, the 99, you could make an argument The 99% of our entire industry uh, is not a business owner. They are self-employed. You know the difference. You used the terms before. You just created a job for yourself. And how you know the difference between a you know, business owner and self-employed is if you're self-employed and revenue generations is dependent on your labor 100%, you created yourself a job. Now, that's not a bad thing. It might be a well-paying job. You might get ultimate satisfaction on it. But understand that job goes away if you break your leg and you have to wow. price in risk to that. And wow. the, the common misconception of this is, hey, if, if Tanner can only pay me 25 bucks an hour, I'll go out on my own. I'll charge 30. Guess what? That's great. The problem is you're going bankrupt your first year because you find out about taxes and liability insurance and mm -hmm. that extra $5 an hour you charge isn't going to cut it. So sure. personal rehab and you have to professionalize your company if you want to pull out of that. You can't just cowboy it and, and grab more people and do more things. You have to lay the groundwork like every other single company does in the United States that you look up to. That's the only way to do it. It's, it's a big choice. It took me five years to go from a single person company to 35. Wow. And it's honestly probably averaging 75 hours a week just is what it is. It, what, what do you want and when do you want it done and how hard are you willing to work for it? How 
does personal development and self-discipline outside of work affect your business? Yeah. So one of the things that I'm working on with my own company, we're to the phase now where if we don't create our own leaders to our levels, we're going to be hampered by that in the next phase of our business. Sure. And you're not going to bring in leaders from outside. That would be demoralizing to your team. Well, listen, that and it's like you're never going to get them to be exactly what you want and a good leader. Yeah, exactly. Just like sure. painters. There's a reason we made a freaking training facility is because <laughs> there's not enough people that do it the Amazing. way we want to. So sure. um, the, the thing that I keyed in on uh, over what I've learned about my own self self rehab and coaching and things like that over the last five years is that. The more acceptable and willingness to take in accountability, the better leader you're going to be. So I'm trying to now instill that in my people. And what you'll find generally in an organization is that at the technician level, you know, the painter level, uh, a lot of people really don't like to be held accountable. Now, I think we found uh, good versions of this where people are acceptable, but honestly, it's a low risk, low reward job, which is, you know, you can put your foot through a coffee table and you'll likely still get a paycheck that week by law, you know? As you move up into a leadership team of my company, now all of a sudden, your salary plus bonus. You have to risk a little more to get a little more. You also have to be open to me saying, you did not perform well last week. What exactly are you going to do this week to change that? Painters aren't always acceptable to that. The ones that do magically excel. When you get to our level, Tanner, at the business level, I actually had my coach. Can I can I use a cuss word on this? Maybe. Go for it. <laughs> so uh, my coach <laughs> two days ago stopped me from talking and said, that's bullshit, Nick, this week. That is a level of accountability that you have to be open for if you're the owner of a business. If if a client interaction, if a client pulls you aside and says, I don't really like your cabinets and you automatically bristle and start pushing back on wow. them, you are not going to be that you don't have what it takes to be a professionalized wow. business owner. You need to be open to everybody telling you you're horrible and then using data to either prove or disprove that. Wow. So taking the emotions out of it, I think that's a leadership skill that really needs to be harped on is how quick are we reactive, right? Yeah. So we don't want to be reactive in business. That comes with engaging an employee argument or dealing with a customer. I mean, this is a skill that's super important because I think, you know, your people are watching how you're acting and whatever you do validates what they're allowed to do. So yeah. the awareness as a business owner has to be that we can't have that sort of emotional intensity without first taking accountability and being aware and then assessing the situation, like you said, with data and making it right if need be. And I think what you said about accountability, man, having somebody in your face say, hey, <laughs> that's not going to fly here because I think everyone has their own ego, including myself, of like, oh, well, I'm right, okay, because we're, we're not going to tell ourselves we're wrong in, in all sense of, the, of the, 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 the word, but just, I love that, man, accountability, and that was what I wanted to get out of you is what, you know, what's that personal development look like? How do you balance family life? What does that look like for you? You're very busy. You have so many endeavors. You, you, you have all these employees. How do you maintain that, that balance? I think that's a struggle for not just people at your level, but I think it's even more of a struggle, more. Nick, for the for the one for the for the one man shows yeah. who are working from seven a.m. to seven p.m. six days a week. What is that? I mean, how are you balancing uh, family life? Yeah. So the first thing I'll, I'll I'll say is, you know, so we all think we're unique in our struggle, right, Tanner? It's like, woe is me. This is happening to me. Congratulations, I was there too. 
yeah. for five or six years of my business, uh, between four and six in the morning, I, I did whatever paperworky sort of things needed to be done. From six to four, I painted, and from four to eight, I did estimates. Wow. I don't think I was a sucker for doing that. I was building something and, and sure, fairly sure. aggressively. And congratulations, you're a business owner. What are you willing to risk to get a reward? Because right. your risk and reward profile has to be higher than an employee. If you say this is this is something where you can tell people aren't aren't quite there yet for a professionalized business is, well, I'm not going to go on that estimate. It's not a guarantee. Right. I'm going to try to pre-qualify it. We go on every estimate. Right. What are you willing to put out there in order to get that job? And it's the same thing. It's if if you think you must be guaranteed something, uh, you're probably not set up. This year, Tanner, sorry, that was a long way around saying that <laughs> I am I am working um, with my coach now this year to make sure that I am actually um, maintaining family and uh, professional sort of boundaries. And sure. it starts with your calendar and then sticking to it. And over the last couple of weeks now, we're two weeks into the year, I have been compliant with my new <laughs> process and my new uh, calendar. Uh, but it's hard to be, yeah, Jason said a great thing to me yesterday. Present is where your mind and body are in the same place. And so I've got the body in place, but <laughs> I'm playing Legos with my kids for three hours a night because I like Legos a lot. And I still find my mind is not always there with them as much thinking as thinking about business is thinking about what's due tomorrow is on the same way. I mean, that's, about that's, we all are and yeah. congratulations. And this is why when you look into the world of literature and poetry and art, everybody's talking about all oh, the struggle to be present. That's why we do yoga. That's why we yeah. do meditation and all this stuff. It is yeah. so hard, but how hard. much effort are you willing to put forth? Yeah. I know it's probably going to be a lifelong thing, but I do know this, uh, that every single person older than me, when I ask them for advice, they don't say, hey, here's a mutual fund or here's a special bank or here's a here's a credit card that gives you good returns. They say it goes fast. And when they're talking about goes fast, it means they're kids. That means all of a sudden your kids are little babies and then they're out of the house. Right. And I want to tackle that sooner than later. And I don't sure, want to sure. be reactive. I want to wait to the so, end. Yeah. Agreed. That's it, man. And and I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to seize every moment. I'm not going to be 100% present. But God damn it, I'm going to try. And can I it's going to be... I yeah. Can I paraphrase this? Yeah. <laughs> you, you're making it a priority. <laughs> like, yeah, you have to. <laughs> you, you're, you outlined an area that is important to you and you're making it a priority. And I think if anyone values their family in the same way you do, I do, then what you need to do is make your business a priority so it doesn't hurt your family life. Because it's really hard, Nick, to go from being your own boss back to working from somebody that's like hitting the lottery and then going broke again. Would you agree with that? Tanner, my nightmare scenario is that I have to get a job someday. I mean, honestly, I, we literally, we've been running from that as well. We're both we, running from that every day. We literally call this thing a freedom machine that we're building here. And obviously it affects, there's a certain amount of freedom I get. And then all the employees here, but legitimately we've freedom crafted machine. a life that's just beautiful here. And if yeah. I had to go punch a time clock somewhere, man, I mean, listen, I'll give it my grit or whatever, but it ain't going to be like this, man. <laughs> no, it's not. But, but my, where I'm going with that is, is ultimately they're either going to go through that life of business because the pain of going back is, is more painful to them than what they're experiencing through trudging along in business. So they're almost at a, at a constant crossroads of like, I need to figure this out. And I think I've been called to, to, to contribute to saving that you have a calling to contribute to saving that because they're suffering 
it's yeah. suffering. It's self-inflicted suffering because of a couple of things in business that just are not in place. And I think that if we if we can help narrow and boil that down to a couple of basic principles, we talked about a simple hiring process. We talked about standard operating procedures. We talked about a little bit of work-life balance. I'm kind of trying to get to there with these topics that I'm bringing up because I'm hearing it so often. I, you know, I do these business breakthroughs and it's like, well, I can't seem to get some good help and I can't seem to, you know, keep my, my schedule busy and I can't seem to find work-life balance. And it's like the same thing over and over again. It's like, you have got to be a doer. You've got to set your alarm clock earlier if you have no time. And you got to say, you know what, for the next three months, I'm going to commit my, my entire being to this because my family is at stake. My business is at stake. All these things. And I'm sure you had to have those conversations with yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, there's only one interesting data point. I've only met one business owner who wakes up after his painters start working, who I've ever seen be successful in this entire industry. That's it. Yeah. Like you said, you just got to get, you got to do it. You just got to do it. Sit on that one for a second. So somebody that, that, you know, his painters are out working, he's now just getting up. Okay. I overslept, you know, a handful of times, you know, new baby, it happens. There's no worse feeling than knowing that your guys are out there and you're unavailable, you know, so quickly nip that in in the butt. And I couldn't imagine that, but essentially it's just discipline. You know, I think the uncomfortable part of business for many technicians is the paperwork. The uncomfortable part of business for many technicians is the scary aspects of tax, the scary aspects of insurances, the scary, all these things that they were never exposed to, never taught. And then essentially they've been doing it so long, they haven't gotten caught. So it's like, well, it's so hard to go back. Tell me about outsourcing. Tell me about what you're seeing in our industry with software like Gusto for payroll with software that allows us to kind of utilize and outsource. Uh, I mean, what that to me means is that there's no excuse. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's things where, um, you know, there, a a bad piece of advice, I believe, and this may be walking out on a ledge against some, some industry, you know, standard stuff, but a lot of time people will say, um, if you're not good at it, pay somebody else to do it. And I will say, if you are a single person painting company, that is a very bad idea. Uh, especially when it comes to marketing and sales right away. I would always make sure that you have your proven processes down and things like that before you do that, then seek it out. I got to the point where I absolutely needed somebody uh, with marketing and sales and then uh, uh, advertising and things like that. But um, things like payroll and taxes, there is no reason, I I will make this argument, there is no reason for a business owner to ever do that on your own. It is next to free to have all that stuff (laughs) by a professional who will comply with every law and and the best argument. So I went to college for taxes and I, I learned enough to always hire somebody to do my taxes because if, if they do nothing else for you, if you hire a professional CPA to do your taxes and you get audited, they have to stand in front of the auditor, not you. Yep. That's worth it alone. It's worth it alone. A hundred percent. And I didn't know that actually until after my first year with them. So when I started my business, you know, ground level, I, I, I didn't want to do the taxes and I got hit with a $300 per month, you know, quote to do them. And I'm thinking, man, at that time I was like, wow, like that's more than my car payment. And <laughs> when I was, when I was an employee, you know, I would be counting every dollar, like, you know, and seeing the car payment be the same as what it would cost my business to have this accountant do my taxes. If I didn't have the awareness of what my goal was, I would have easily wrote that off as like, that's too expensive. I'll figure it out. Right. Because again, just being in survival mode and, and not being in a 
full of my business is going to be successful mode and I need this to sustain the success. So I kind of was in, in a fear mindset, but then I switched gears. I said, you know what, let me look at this. First of all, you know, the total amount for that, you know, 12 times three, 3,600 bucks for the year. First, let me first understand where, what, what happens here. That's a deduction, right? Mm -hmm. Next, in the event that I tried to do it myself, I'm going to miss things. Oh, I don't know you, if I'm going to. You miss things to the point where you go to jail. Right. Not only am the, the legal stuff, but I might miss deductions that could lower my tax liability. I Don't go to H&R Block. I mean, I need somebody that specializes in business tax. And do I want to sit at home on QuickBooks and start categorizing all my expenses? Absolutely not. I could utilize that time more effectively. So, so many, so many good points on, on that. I just want to hit that hard because it's like either you're going to go to accounting school and learn this stuff, or you got to stay up to date with the new tax law that changes every year, or, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to do it effectively. So hire that out. Interesting, interesting, oh, interesting thing, Tanner, is uh, I, I got a call from my accountant and because I chose to go with somebody local and, and a local firm, uh, they, they're in, they're like my ad hoc, a member of my board of advisors now and wow. uh, a trusted relationship. So interestingly enough, I got a bill from them uh, for the last two quarters of the year for about $11,000. They do all my bookkeeping, all my payroll, all my taxes, all that Everything. stuff. And it costs about, I don't know, maybe two grand a month, give or take. We had one, she called me in and said, Hey, Nick, end of the year, your stuff has been changing over the year. Let's get in here. We did a one day thing. She saved me about nine grand in taxes. So wow. almost, made up, almost made up for the entire cost of doing all those things in one sitting with them. Perfect. So listen, yeah. it's for somebody you can trust. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. I look at it like this cost versus value, right? You know, the, you know, I mean, it's like how we pitch our services and I think it's so yeah. Wouldn't you say that, that that it's funny when you see these conversations about people haggling about price on these things, but when they go to sell their service, they want the, the customer to recognize the value of which they provide. And when the customer bats an eye at their price, it's, you know, disrespectful. You know, yeah. for me, it's like, you know, you have to understand this is an ecosystem here. You want good service to su support a good business. And, uh, you know, you got to pay for that. So, you know, I wanted to, I definitely wanted to hit on that. Um, a couple more topics here, man. I wanted to hammer out while I have you, um, you know, advancing the trade, right? We talked about that, but for, for you, what does that really mean, man? I mean, is it possible? Or are we going to put a dent in it in our lifetime? Where do you see this trade ending up in the next 10 years? Yeah, 10 years, there will be a change. Um, Jason and Paris, uh, Jason Paris and I believe so uh, deeply in this that, um, you know, he's the uh, board chair of the PCA and I'm the vice chair. And just like every president and vice president or first lady, we come in with an initiative and the PCA has an amazing sort of uh, uh, like archive of painters training, like world-class stuff, Spanish language stuff, videos, text, standard operating procedures. It is the foremost like technical training in our industry. Jason and I truly believe that that is something that we need, but what our industry really needs is professionalized painting businesses and owners. So we did the same thing. The, uh, the, you, you take the ethos of trained painters in the, in the most highway, and we're doing that. Uh, our initiative is that for business owners, and we're going to be rolling that out this year. We truly believe that, you know, look at, you take one Jason, Pan, uh, one Jason Paris, one Tanner, uh, one professionalized business, we we know from talking, Jason Paris was just with you. Professionalized businesses from all over the country visit one another and magically they don't have as much problems. They don't have the pain finding work, scheduling, estimating, finding help. Professionalized right. businesses, 
are problem solvers and they actually solve these problems. So our theory is if we want to move the needle on the industry, let's attract some more Tanners and Jasons. That's what we need. The bright minds, the force mul- that to steal a term from the military, a machine gun is a force multiplier. It's not one bullet. It's thousands of bullets a minute. That is a force. It takes what one person can do and turn it into what a hundred people can do. Sure. You Tanner are a force multiplier. Jason Paris is an ultimate force multiplier. And that's what we need in this industry. So uh, this year you are going to see the finest business professionalization training that is out there. And legitimately, if people actually did this, it could, it could move the needle on the entire uh, industry. Wow. Yeah. And, and I think that collaboration is key. I think we're moving yeah. the needle a little bit with this group. I feel like this group here, you know, uh, hey, listen, you know, when you come across with challenging questions about how to deal with customers, what are you doing for payroll? You know, this wasn't available 10 or 15 years ago. Everybody was on their own little island and they got information from the people around them. And I don't know about you, but, you know, few and far between around my area with forward thinking painting business owners. I mean, it's not as common. We got to travel a little bit to get to those. But when you bring everybody in the same room, the, the large majority tends to either gravitate to the good idea or question the way they've been doing it. And even if that question comes up of like, maybe I should be doing this a little bit differently, that's still a good thing. Would you agree? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and our breed of contracting is completely different from my father's. I mean, my father doesn't own a computer, own a cell phone, and basically has never talked to another painter before. All we're doing is talking to other painters now. And yeah. we used to think that there was secrets and things like yeah. that. And you still see it in these groups. People think that's why I did that stunt a couple of weeks ago. Of, I saw that. Hey, let's go live and it's just going to yeah. price your work. Because people think that that's the thing that they have that other people don't right. have. And I'll tell you, it's all the things that you're talking about, which is all these standard operating procedures, um, professionalizing your business. There are no secrets out there. I mean, Christ Almighty, we we buy the same pants and the same gallon of paint. There are no special things out there. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm a firm believer in in all of that. Yeah, I love that, man. I love that. And I want to talk to you um, about uh, the expo. So tell us a little bit about what people can expect if they go to the expo. I'm going to be there. We're going to have a booth for drip jobs. You're going to be there uh, speaking. You know, what can they expect uh, at the expo? What is the expo and what can they expect? Yeah, I pitch it as... Uh, be in person with Jason Paris for a couple of days. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. the only kind of proposition you need, right? So yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it legitimately <laughs> is. Uh, it's been a couple of years now because of COVID since we've done this, but it is. Uh, you know, I, I am not a company man. I am not somebody who's out there in these member organizations saying we need to get more members. We need to get people there. I don't care. What I'm interested in is when I go to the PCA, I meet the most interesting thinkers in the entire trades industry there. And it's not a coincidence that five or six years ago, I got introduced to the PCA. I was a single person painter. We have 35 people now. So wow. it's not That's because not the I- the greatest pay- testimony of going to this thing? Listen, and but I'll be very honest with you. This is not one of those things. I will tell you, it wasn't because I paid my dues and became a member. It's because I met people like Jason Paris and Dave Scaturro yeah. and Gina Court and people- You met who- Jason at the PCA? Yeah. So we got, well, we actually got connected through um, social media and stuff. And then Ah. we got involved with the PCA, but basically, I mean, there's 1200 Jason Paris's and Tanner Mullins there and about four to 500 of them get together at the expo. And you know, and, and we all know after a year of COVID and virtual meetings and everything else, we can do this virtually, right? It ain't the same. 
There's, there's difference in standing in a room with somebody, holding an old fashioned in your hand and talking for three hours with somebody deeply about your passion for the business, for your people, for progressing the industry, things like that. That's lost. And uh, it's going to be back this March. So I'm very pleased. Yeah, that's exciting, man. So what I'd like to do, uh, we have uh, some people watching. I'd love to do a Q&A. So uh, if Nick, could you could you hang out with us for a few more minutes and answer a yeah. few questions? I don't really go for question and answers, Tanner. You know me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's that one show that I heard, Ask a Painter. No, so we'll, we'll take a few questions. Um, and uh, in the meantime, you know, while I'm waiting for the questions to come in, um, you know, with this expo coming up, I did want to hit on what are you going to be doing there? Because you told me about what it is. I want to know what you're going to be doing. Yeah. So, uh, uh, <laughs> because I'm a loud mouth, people give me some really cool opportunities and uh, I was very selfish in that, which I'm not even, I'm not presenting a master's class. They actually turned me down. They said, Nick, ah, we got an, we'd have enough master's <laughs> classes, take that and pound sand. Sure. But I did get a cool opportunity. Uh, I'm hosting a panel discussion. Um, I scheduled about six to eight of some of the most interesting people I've ever met in the industry. And we're going to talk about limiting beliefs, which I believe is the thing that is what's stopping us. It's not other painters. It's not estimating. It's not this and that. It's something that we possess in our heads that is stopping us from doing exactly what we want to do. And we're actually going to get people like Zach Kenny and others up there, and they're going to tell us what their limiting beliefs are and how they're trying to get over them. Um, And uh, that's one of the most enlightening sort of things ever because, yeah, I won't go any deeper, but I also got to host a, um, very selfishly, a fireside chat with Jason Paris, where we're going to actually talk about the data and the stats that we know from the industry and what we believe, like the single thing we can all do to make our lives better and change the industry, which is this professionalization that we're talking about. So basically buckle up. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. (laughs) Oh man, I can't wait. This is going to be great. Expo 2022. Got a couple questions rolling in. Uh, how does someone get a board seat position with the PCA? Kiss a lot of ass and pay people. <laughs> no, it's a little bit of lobbying, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, and I don't mean to be crass, Tanner, but honestly, you got to be a servant leader. And sure. uh, there are, I will say this, there are many more people who are more qualified, have more tenure in the industry, and are going to be better board members. But the, the board, uh, one of the initiatives uh, that they have, one of the big things that they must do is to recruit the next board members as well. Because just like we just talked about recruiting, if you yeah. just if you just put a thing on, uh, on, on one of our chat boards and ask for board of directors uh, nominees, you're not going to get much. So we have to go out there and actually handpick the next ones. And I was handpicked by a group of people. And I was a deep honor because uh, it, I probably should have not been given this chance for another 10 or 20 years. But uh, they thought it would be a really innovative time for me and Paris to come on Mm -hmm. and sort of have our time with this and see if we can't get something done. So, yeah, you basically have to be a servant leader. And um, I will tell you this. uh, Jason Paris will never tell you this, but um, he is he has been board chair for a year. He has one more year, uh, I believe. Um, And then elections come up again. Or I think he's going to likely be elected again. He has put in thousands of hours into professionalizing the PCA, bringing it into the next century, setting it up to be a successful organization. Wow. He's not spent his time doing all the sexy stuff, all the all the crazy stuff that is outwardly seen. 
He toils away to make sure that this uh, organization runs as well as his own painting business and holdings company. And uh, I will give him a lot of credit for that because he's never going to be out there spouting that out himself. And uh, yeah, we should all be thanking people, servant that's leaders awesome, like, like him who do that. So, And he's behind the scenes. He's not a guy that's going to boast and brag either. So no, but, to, uh, but if you give him a chance, I will tell you this. One of the coolest things that Jason Paris does is he has one of the most interesting, awkward senses of humor you will ever see in a human being. And the expo, when he's in front of a crowd, he will wield that against people. So ah, okay. if, if you want to that, <laughs> you got, do not myth. Follow Jason Paris around the expo. I can guarantee yeah. you you'll have a good time. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. I look forward to that. So we got a couple more questions coming in. Um, this one here. Let's see. Hold on one second. Hide that one. All right. So let's look at this one. What are the biggest keys to developing leaders within your business? Yeah. Well, I mean, this again, I hope this isn't unsatisfying, but they have to want it. So <laughs> we have a policy in our company where there's been about three people in our company in one of our goal setting and review meetings. They're like, Hey, I'm really interested in like leading people. And we just tackle them immediately. Like, Oh, yeah. come with us. Come on yeah, over here. Yeah, you know? We'll nurture you. And yeah. then you have to, because there's some people that don't want to lead people. No. Or, or don't know that they want to leave. They don't people, know that. I will tell you this. The people that say they do absolutely do. And then you have to start introducing them to accountability, which is that's that's the hard thing. Like you could say, hey, read the books, do this and that. I haven't got much out of leadership books, if I'm going to be honest with you. I've read all the this and that's and, and whatever. And honestly, it's like. Yeah, great. Some uh, some Chinese emperor did this years ago. Um, that feels really heavy handed. And actually, I'd probably lose the trust of my people if I did that. I don't feel like that's a good <laughs> thing. What I what I prefer to do is warm family environment, coach, develop, mentor. And the biggest takeaway, Tanner, from 2021 is I believe an empathetic leader wins every mm -hmm. single time. But I, you I have like to that. be you have to be careful with who you give your empathy to. If they don't match your core values, you don't extend the empathy. They must perform first. They must gain your trust. After they gain your trust, though, you need to bend over backwards and break yourself. And sure. it's not going to feel fair. There's going to be things like, well, listen, I gave you all that coaching, all that mentoring. I gave you a second chance and you didn't perform. I feel like I'm a sucker now. Too bad. If they are a good person and a core value match, you may do that for years before they have a breakthrough. We just had this with one person. It was one of the best leadership lessons I've ever had, which this person was doing everything they could do to get fired from my company. <laughs> but when I, when we sat around the leadership team meeting, I'm like, this is a good guy. Like yeah. we like this guy. He's a yeah. core value match. Let's give him another chance. In three months, he turned it around. He graduated from apprentice mm -hmm. to craftsperson, fully blessed into the thing, uh, to the wow. benefit system and, and now performing wonderfully. But if we took a vote, likely would have fired the guy uh, based on his mm -hmm. performance and and stuff. So, so I dug a little deeper, saw that there was an opportunity, had the right system to plug him in, and you you were able to actually, you know, create a leader out of somebody that just yeah. needs some refinement. You know this too. This isn't a feelings based thing. There are standards in my company. I gave him three months. I said you must produce at this level. You must be five minutes early everywhere you go. You must do, must do, must do, must do, and all things that were completely quantifiable and completely up to him. So basically, at the end of it, there was no feelings based discussion. You either did this or you didn't. It's a light switch. So you wow. need you. I couldn't have done this if I hadn't have done all those things that I mentioned before: an employee handbook, the pay scale, the standards, the uh, things like that. So, yeah. Hmm. All right, that's good. A couple more for you, Nick. We're gonna squeeze it out of you for our time here, man. You got it. Happily. Got a couple. Got a couple more. So, hello from Norway. Traveling overseas is a bit more difficult these days. Any chance the expo will be recorded 
or some sessions live stream. I know I'll be live streaming stuff at our booth, but uh, I think Nick's will probably be a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, there will be. So what we don't, what, what normally doesn't happen is that every single session is recorded and available for the general public for free. It's one of those things where that, the, the, the production cost of that would be enormous. Um, so what you're going to find though, is a whole bunch of people like Tanner and I will be producing lots of content during that time. Hey, so, and we have this awesome group. We'll just stream it here. And you know, if you're not it, there, man. we'll, we'll get it to you somehow. Right. That's it. I, and, and Lucas and I talk and Lucas, Lucas is awesome. And, uh, listen, yeah. man, It'll get better. There will be more content out there, but there are some things like my master's classes. I've never publicly streamed them because those are for the people who are in that room because we yeah. have very difficult discussions yeah, a lot of the times. <laughs> and and we share a lot of perspective that if you caught the 35th minute of that and taken mm -hmm. it out of context, that would be a tough thing to swallow. That so. would be a tough thing to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we got a couple more. So uh, what are some examples of KPIs you use for your painters? Does it go further than just production? Yeah, there's like, there's probably 14 things. And one of them is revenue per hour. So they are the five core values. There's revenue per hour. Uh, there is uh, uniform standards. There is equipment readiness. Uh, there's a whole bunch of our electronic updates that they have to do, you know, filling out our work orders and then updating the company. Um, yeah, it, there's, there's, there's a whole, we actually, <laughs> we actually have a sheet in our company that says the standards, do this and you keep your job. That's the bare minimum. That's, what it is. And you have to basically check all these things off every quarter that you did that. Mm. So yeah, uh, only, only one K painters are the hardest thing to keep accountable to that. Uh, because really, you know, unlike a salesperson, my, my estimator, Andy, he's the easiest guy to hold accountable because all he does is generate numbers. And it's so easy to do, you know, average job size, success ratio, uh, how many sold, how many cold this week, how many did you sell on the spot, you know, all sorts of things like that. But painters is tough. I only have one number like that. Um, hmm. but yeah. In our, in our apprenticeship program though, I do have a list of about 11 competencies and in your first three months here, you have three or four and every quarter you stay with us, we add competencies. So there are some things like doing a, a bedroom wall repaint in four hours, uh, you need to do that to get uh, a raise to the next level. It's the updates and things like that. So there's there's some things very specific to our company, but it's painters are hard, man. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. Couple more, couple more questions. Uh, best advice for securing enough winter work after you hire your first couple full time painters. I feel like if anyone knows how to answer this, it's you. Yeah, man. So we uh, early on. So there's two. There's always two answers to this, which is what did single person painter Nick do, and what does Nick with 35 people do? <laughs> single person painter Nick. Um, I was. I couldn't have been more nervous when I took on my first person through the winter because I thought, how the hell is this going to work? Magically, we had enough work, and then we took on another and another, and we had enough work because the impetus was I was driven a little harder because I had these families to to help feed. Um, a lot of it. I, I did about 500k in revenue. Uh, based on word of mouth referral and repeat clients. After that, I actually had to start paying for stuff. And mm -hmm. what I do is I take, uh, I have about a, I try to keep my um, marketing budget to about, I want to say about three and a half percent of revenue. And um, we expend almost all of that during the six months of winter in Minnesota. So we, we have a, a crazy demand curve, as everybody knows. The summer, the demand curve goes so high that it's unbearable and it's painful. And then in the winter, we're all sitting here screaming right now saying, how do we get work? How do we get work? Every other post on your forum is that. How do you guys get work? We take our entire marketing budget and spend it between October and March uh, during the year, and we send out flyers. So that's Prepare. the way that I've been able to uh, find work. I've tried everything else. And as you know, 
Um, I have been limited in my effort to do experiments, but I have done ancillary experiments and all the other stuff right now. I found a way that I can spend some money, get some leads. I feel like over the next five years, we're going to have to refine the process. It's kind of Mm. a simple process. So last question here, and I'm going to add to this question. It's, do you feel COVID has been good or bad for our industry? Obviously you have to kind of look at that from the perspective of growth and change. Yeah. What are you doing with the paint situation? Hot topic. Um, in terms of, are you struggling to find what you need? If you are struggling, how are you adjusting? And then of course the pricing, I know your answer is going to be, that's not a factor for us, but can you hammer that a little bit harder today? (laughs) Yeah. So I'll, I'll first talk about the, the, the coding stuff, um, because that's top of mind. We can talk about all the other spiritual bits of COVID as well too, but, um, yeah, I don't care about materials. It, I just don't. I buy the best stuff and we use it and it's we we make our profit, we make our bones, we make our clients happy with our labor. So we we focus all of our time into labor. The price of pain is something we can't control and the price increase in pain is something we can't control. So let it make you mad, let it do whatever, but it's the tide. What are you going to do to change the tide? You can rally against it. You can fight against it. You can put your effort towards it. You're not going to change it. It is what it is. Every paint company does their annual increases. It is what it is. Now, the best thing you can do is grow a big old business so that you can get very cheap paint and you can get preferential treatment in a time when not a lot of other painters can get paint. Sure. So how bad do you want to solve the problem? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Dig your well before you're thirsty, right? Actually, actually make a partnership. Like I, I get a lot of DMs about, Hey, this paint failed. I yelled at my Sherwin Williams rep to come out here and tell the client I didn't ruin their house. When we know that almost hundred percent of all paint failures are human errors. Sure. If your relationship with your paint rep is only calling him out to tell the client you didn't ruin their house. Guess who's not going to get preferential treatment or yeah, they want you to have as little pain as possible. <laughs> I will tell you this. If you want to not have a paint shortage, do this. Go to your paint rep and say, I want to be a partner with you as much as you want to be a partner with me. Yeah. And what I've done over the last couple of years is um, this last year, we went from 1.4 million to 2.2 million. And I wow. sat my rep down and I said, I will give you all of that extra revenue if you help me with these couple things. I asked for a special price on two items. I asked for logistical help, getting the paint to where it needs. I didn't ask him for the world. I didn't ask mm-hmm. for Disney vacations. I didn't ask for you know, the Game lowest tickets. price in the country. No, I'm just like, listen, I don't care. You will never see us. All we're going to do is give you email orders, deliver it to my shop. We will never talk to you. We will never show <laughs> up in a store. Like yeah. we will be the easiest customer. And we've already proven that we've can, we went from, you know, 1 million to 1.4 and then 1.4 to 2.2. Two. I told them that before we were going to do it. And if they wanted to be a partner with me, they could do it with me. And in turn, this isn't a one-way relationship. I actually delivered all that extra revenue to them. So now we have this base of trust. So when I say we're going two, two to three, guess who's on board? Guess who wants to A little bit different than the, than the mentality of, uh, well, they, you know, well, they won't get my business. I'll just go somewhere else. Whereas you're building a relationship and you're providing value. Uh, and I think you do that in all, all that you do. So it's easy for you. But I have one more question before we go. I got one more yeah. minute. What's up with this old house, man? I mean, do we need to like, rally up the troops here? I mean, does everyone in this group need to send an email? Because that's what I'm waiting for. What, what's going on, man? Listen, so out of out of respect for my 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 one of my best friends in the end industry, uh, Maro Enrique, who is the painter on this old house, who has been on my show a bunch of times, and I love the guy. <laughs> He's a Brazilian as well. I am not vying for his job because uh, I respect him a great deal, but. 
if the opportunity ever came up, I would love to do something with that show. Now, I am a content contributor. I have a thing on their website that I contribute to. Um, over the last uh, five years, I think there's been two transitions uh, between who owns this old house, actually. Oh, okay. And that that stalls your relationships, <laughs> right? You build relationships, you have a handler, you have other things. And I've had to rekindle that relationship a few times with those people. So hopefully there's some, um, there's some stability. But honestly, Tanner, I would be lying to you if I said that uh, a weird childhood dream of mine would be to be on the flagship show of that and not just on a page on their website. But yeah, I, I have to say that, enjoy it. dude, I have to say that respectfully because I love Morrow and he's their painter and I would never, ever, ever take his place on there because he represents our entire industry on that show and he does it phenomenally. That's exciting. So. Well, good, man. Very, uh, very exciting. Uh, you know, wishing you a prosperous 2022 with all this new change you got going on. I'm sure this won't be the last time we chat, man. Everyone seemed to have enjoyed it. Uh, you have to read all the comments later, man. Everyone was having fun, uh, you know, combating you on some things and, you know, yeah. and what you had to say. So thank you so much, Nick, as always. Uh, have yourself a great day, man. Appreciate you joining me today. I'll do this anytime, Tanner. I have a all blast right, talking right. to you. Drip Jobs CRM is finally here. That's right. So Drip Jobs is an automation platform for contractors, home service professionals that's going to automatically follow up with your customers. It's going to allow you to send invoices, estimates. It's going to allow you to send out blast marketing emails to individuals based on where they are in the buying process. This software is next level. And I'm reaching out to you. You're a listener of this podcast, and I want you to be one of the first ones to give it a shot. So if you want to see what Drip Jobs can do for your business, I'd love for you to head over to dripjobs.com, sign up for a free demo, and get your team involved, and let us sit with you and show you how powerful this software is. It's going to save you time. It's going to make you money, and you're going to love the features that are built into Drip Jobs. So if you want to check it out, head over to dripjobs.com, and we will give you first priority being a podcast listener uh, to be one of the very first to try out Drip Jobs in your home service business. I'm super excited to share that with you, and I'll catch you on the next episode.